From the studios of Teeing It Up in the swamps of Jersey, and it is humid like swamps, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Tuesday, uh, August 13th, 2019. We welcome in Danny Flicka back in his weekly spot. He's back on the show after uh, being away for a couple of weeks. Welcome back, sir. Thanks, man. It's uh, good to be back and uh, getting back to the routine a bit. Yes. All right. Antonio Brown. He goes from hating his helmet and threatening to quit football forever, loses his arbitration uh, uh, hearing, and says, okay, I'll be back tomorrow. Your thoughts? He's a, a character, and I mean, he's had an interesting couple of months. If, if you go back to December when he was with Pittsburgh, and um, forcing his way out of town there, signing a huge contract with the Raiders, then... Um, that makeover that he had with the gold mustache and weird hair, and now you know his feet were like frozen off apparently, and then the, the helmet situation—just a crazy set of situations he's got himself into. And I think the helmet one might be the most bizarre, considering that he has known about this for at least a year, right? Yeah. It's about last year that the following players on the on this list would have to. Uh, transform uh, or, you know, transfer over to the new helmets that are approved by whatever governing body that is that approves them. So it's not like this was out of nowhere. He's had a year to prepare and understand that this is the, the protocol that he has to follow. So he, he's just a unique individual and one that does cause some headaches at the end of the day. Uh, he spoke today um, and said... Uh, he put a, a, a post on social media uh, with incentive. He said, I will trade for a signed uh, practice-worn uh, Raiders helmet, asking fans for their help in finding the newer version of his old helmet. He said that his agent had located one that had been manufactured since 2010, and it was getting... It was just a matter of getting it reconditioned and recertified. Hopefully we will get this behind us soon, Drew Rosenhaus said. What a, so this is an ongoing story. That's the bottom line there. This is a... Yeah. This is very much... I, I, yeah, it's a weird situation. I mean, even the report came out the other day that Tom Brady was getting used to his new helmet. I think it... It's a psychological thing, I think, at the end for these players. You know, they're used to routine and comfort, and they've worn this helmet or that style or model helmet for however many years. So I can understand that aspect of it. You know, you do have to change a little bit, I think, of how you uh, you play. Maybe some of your sight lines are just altered just a bit, you know, based off of where the, the face mask is coming down. But like I said, it's been known for a little while that they're yeah. going to have to do this. So either you try it on a practice during the season or you take one home and you wear one during the off season that gets used to it. I just think poor preparation uh, on these athletes' part in understanding what the new rules are going to be. So uh, it's, they're interesting stories and uh, I think they're obviously going to be blown up because the players that are on that list, uh, the people that had to change are all big name players. Yeah. Um, Alright, so one thing that has not changed since you left is that giant fans are um, frustrated human beings. And I thought what happened 
on on Thursday in that preseason game, vanilla offense versus vanilla defense. Eli goes three and out. Daniel Jones comes in, throws a touchdown. Eli gets booed. Daniel Jones gets huge cheers. Giant fans, where is your logic? Like, come on. And I just don't understand why people even watch preseason games in the first place, especially as more and more people don't participate in them. And secondly, why people try to glean something out. I mean, look, the Jets were able to glean that their kicker sucked, and Chandler Canizaro retired on Monday as a result of this. But I don't understand why people are trying to make long-term determinations about skill position players off preseason games when it's vanilla offense versus vanilla defense. Yeah, I just think it has to do with where the players was taken. Daniel Jones was taken number six overall, so you're as a fan, you want to know what you have in him, and you saw a piece of what they have in him. You know, he went five for five, threw a touchdown, led the team down the field. Eli went one for one for what three yards and it's green out. So, you know, I take little to nothing out of this performance. The Giants need to worry about other things right now. Uh, Saquon wasn't playing. Uh, Golden Tate wasn't playing. Jalen Shepard wasn't playing. Evan Ingram wasn't playing. So a lot of the people that maybe during the week that Eli is practicing with aren't, aren't playing you know, during the game. And it could be a little counterproductive in that sense to, to have Eli out there for a long period of time. Um, you also lose that depth right away if somebody gets hurt. So you want to make sure that you don't have a situation like that pop up. I just think for the Giants right now, you know, the, the development for them has to come along the offensive line and defensive line. Can you get those players that need those reps, the reps they need during the preseason? You know, you know they signed Mike Remmers and they traded for Kevin Ziegler in the offseason. Are they getting the reps? Are they, uh, you know, healthy? Are they understanding the offense? John Halipo is coming back from a serious injury last year. How does he look? And along the defensive line and. and secondary, you have a bunch of new faces and, and young pieces. Are they understanding the schemes and the, the situations that they're being put in? You know, That's more important for me as a fan than worrying about uh, what Eli is doing or what Daniel Jones is doing. I think you know, Eli will be fine. I think when, if Daniel Jones is called upon, he'll be fine. Will they make the playoffs? Probably not. But are the other pieces of that team developing? Because eventually Daniel Jones will mean nothing if that team around him is terrible. Yes, I, I, I completely um, am with you there. We're talking to Danny Fleckett here on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. All right, uh, we don't go very far in training camp without the Cowboys making noise. We have a holdout from Ezekiel Elliott, and we have Dak Prescott contract numbers that are flying around that may or may not be truthful but may or may not, uh, but, but at the same time, may also be absurd. Asking for 30 million, sorry, rejecting 30 million, uh, wanting 40 million a year. Um, this is just uh, some obscene uh, numbers being thrown around. What's your take on both Zeke's holdout and then the, the, the uh, whole Dak Prescott situation? So I don't really understand Ezekiel Elliott's stance. He still has two more years left on his contract. So, from a financial perspective, if you're the Cowboys, it doesn't make much sense to extend a player that you have in control for this year and next year and could potentially franchise tag the following year. Dak 
put yourself in, in a different situation. You can't really look into franchising him because then you're really making the top five average of the players paid that position, which would probably be north of 25 to $26 million. He could be cheaper and signed to a long-term deal. So that's probably a situation where you, if you're the Cowboys, you want to take care of the most feasible option, and that right now is Dak Prescott. Now, the numbers that are being thrown out are just absurd. I'm sorry. I can't see paying Dak Prescott anywhere close to what he might be asking for or even what was offered to him. I think $30 million a year for a player of Dak, Cas- Dak Prescott's caliber is just absurd. And I know the argument is that he's a winner. They've won with him. It just is a tough scenario because how much of it is actually Dak Prescott, how much of it is maybe that offensive line in Ezekiel Elliott. So the Cowboys find themselves in a, in a tough situation. They they traded for Cooper, same timeline as, as uh, Zeke. You've got, I think, in the bottle with Dak in the fourth round, but he's got to be the more pressing need right now if you're looking to extend somebody because his contract is up at the end of this year and you're looking at possibly paying him 25 to $30 million anyway a year if you're franchising him. Do I have permission to pontificate about the gloriousness of Sam Darnold's one possession from Thursday night, or, or am I banned from doing that and you will hang up on me if I do so? You can. I didn't see any of, of his, his work, so... No, I'm just playing. Trust me, I, I have no. Comp- I, I look. He he had a nice drive for a touchdown. Made some good reads, but the Giants had some secondary communication issues. They didn't have anybody. It's vanilla versus vanilla. Uh, as as I said, don't I, I don't read anything into that. What I do read into, however, Danny Flecka, is this Yankee offense and what Glaber Torres and Gio Urshela have done against the Orioles and just in general, has been remarkable. And those two guys, plus Cameron Mabin, have been great pickups and great call-ups and great decisions by Brian Cashman and company to keep this Yankee team afloat when they've got guys on the injured list, they don't have CC Sabathia, and their starters have not been the same pre-All-Star break, post-All-Star break. Yeah, don't forget to throw in Mike Talkman in there, yes, too. With, yes, yes, um, great point. You know, we, we talk about it every time we talk about the Yankees, and it's just been one of those situations where every single player they've called up or every single player they have in their system seems to understand exactly what is expected of them when they show up. You know, I'm sure that when they sign Cameron Maven, they're like, listen, you know, we're just going to use you for depth right now. This is what we need. We're just, you know, when you're called upon, we, we need you to do something um, and go from there. And he's been able to produce, he's been able to get on base, he's fast, so he can steal bases, stretch singles to double, score runs from second. Those little things that people maybe overlook when they're they're building a roster, you know, the Yankees maybe have paid a little bit more attention to than than other teams, and I don't know what is in the water over there, but these guys like Gio and Michael Talkman, even like Mike Ford, when he got, has been called up, he's been hitting home runs, whatever it is, it, it couldn't be any more well scripted for them. They, they're in first place in the division. They're running away with it. They buried their arch rivals in the Red Sox. They, they got to compete with Houston. And, you know, unfortunately, I think that's the, the team that they may have ignored while building the team that they did because going up against Houston potentially in a seven-game series is going to be tough with the, the starters that they have. 
But, you know, for now, you know, as a Yankee fan, you have to enjoy that this team is young, exciting, offensive, heavy. You know, they're going to go out there, they're going to swing the bat, they're going to hit the balls into the seat. Um, and it's just nice knowing that despite all of the injuries that they've had, it hasn't derailed the ultimate goal for them, which is to make the playoffs, win the division, and get to the World Series. And right now, all of that's in play. And contrary to a lot of teams, and contrary to even the Yankees in recent years, they're going to get a lot of these guys back in late August and September, which is so rare, but when you're the Yankees, this is a joy. And Severino, Batances, uh Stanton... Sabathia um, and Luke Voigt all seem to be on a path. I'm, I'm forgetting somebody on this list. All seem to be on a path to get back towards September when they would have enough of a runway to become legitimate, trustworthy people come playoff time. And that's what you need. You need those guys, if they are going to come back, to have at least 25 games under their belt to get into rhythm. You know, Stanton's been in and out all year long. Somebody hasn't even thrown a pitch for them uh, this season either. Uh, Batances, Aaron Hicks has been in and out of the lineup all year. Boy yeah. was having a good year, and unfortunately, some bad luck with his injury. So, you know, you want these players to come back and start to get into a rhythm. And we've seen it happen with Judge. You know, he was out for a while. He still hasn't really gotten back to where he needs to get to to really make this lineup as dangerous as it can be. But as you go into the playoffs and you play teams like the Indians potentially uh, or the Astros where you're going to need to have a, a long lineup, you, you want these players to have that rhythm back. So if Stan is back and Boyd's back and Judge starts hitting and you have that length in that lineup, one through nine, when you go into October, you, you have to like your chances. And you have to think at some point that this pitching staff will eventually get on some sort of roll and be able to deliver five innings or six innings of, of well-pitched baseball and allow that bullpen to do what it has to do. It's going to be very rare, Danny. We're going to see a lot of Yankee starters, and I put that in quotes, playing in late September because they're going to need the at-bats, they're going to need the starts. It's going to be a very different September than in a lot of Yankee playoff years where you're trying to rest guys, you're trying to set your rotation right. It's going to maybe be play somebody every day and pull them after two at-bats, but just make sure they're in the lineup every day. And it, it's yeah, just yeah. going to be weird. that you know They may play three, four innings in the field and then just yank them. It, it, it's going to be a different feeling September for the Yankees. So they have to play. They're, they're, they're fighting for that number one overall seed. You know, it's better to have that, you know, seventh game potentially be in the Bronx and go to Houston or go to Cleveland. So they have, they have to play. Until that's wrapped up, there's no reason for them to take their foot off the gas. These players are in rhythm. We know how, how baseball players are. You throw them off their routine a little bit, and you might lose them for the rest of the year, and, and they can't afford that. You know, right now they're a game up uh, on Houston. I think with uh, Houston having a game in hand because of the doubleheader yesterday. But you got to... I think clinch that number one seed, win the, the AL, um, and then let the teams come to the Bronx and face you there. Granted, it could be a disaster wing to happen, considering that it's a band box, but you look at all the other stadiums that you're potentially going to for uh, matchups, whether it's Minnesota, Cleveland, Houston, and they all present similar situations. So it'd just be nice to have that extra game at home if you know you're going to need it. 
talking to Danny Flecker here on Teeing It Up. All right. Um, we haven't talked about this uh, concept, which is openers. And I have seen this occasionally happen in September. Teams are losing records. I've never seen championship teams like the Yankees do this system where they open the game with a bullpen piece and just throw out three, four guys, a bunch for, for three, four innings at a time, or two, three innings at a time, and kind of piece it together. What's your take on this whole concept of using openers as starters? It's an interesting one. I mean, we, we know Tampa Bay did it a lot last year yeah. um, with Kevin Cash down there. I think it really depends on the situation. I think if you have a, a, a performance like you did with Tanaka the other night where he went eight innings, a scoreless ball, you only needed Chapman to close it out, and you have maybe an off day or, or whatever it might be in there where you need to maybe get the bullpen back into their rhythm, it makes sense. You know, you let these guys go out there, you let them throw one or two innings, whatever their normal amount is, and they stay on schedule. If you're struggling with your starting pitching, then that's another way of going about it, too. You, you let your, one of those starters have an extra day off or skip a spot in the rotation without going on the DL. I'll let the bullpen handle that one game. So it, it, I think it really depends on where you find yourself at. Um, you know, the doubleheaders can play into it, too. Now it's, I'm sure a lot more teams will start making up the games that were rained out earlier this year. Yeah. If, if, as long as you're not running your bullpen into the ground, as long as it's managed correctly, rosters expand in a couple of weeks, so I'm sure there'll be some extra arms in there that can that can – fill in for these types of situations, then that's fine. But if you're losing potential innings that you could get out of these guys later in the year or in October, then I... And one guy we haven't talked about, by the way, is is uh, uh, Domingo Herman, who has been sensational. Cashman said last week on WFAN, he has an innings limit. He will not disclose what it is. His DL stint, sorry, IL stint helped his cause. That's going to be an interesting one. Does this opener concept help the Yankees skip enough Herman starts that, that he can be a piece for them in the uh, postseason? That's going to be very interesting to see how they handle Herman this next month. Yeah, so that's where a situation where you like the his time in the rotation. Um, or maybe even have him be the opener, go out for one or two innings just to stay loose and to stay, uh, you know, on top of things. Uh, yeah. So it just depends. I think it's one of those situations for the <laughs> playing time as possible to keep things going. And you'd like to see that guys like Paxton and Tanaka can potentially build off their last couple, their last outings start to get the ball rolling and get things figured out and you know that's what I'm holding on to as a Yankee fan that, that Tanaka performance on Sunday or Saturday whatever it was but maybe him flipping the switch just a little bit to figure out you know what it is you need to do to be successful and they're going to need him it's going to be him packed in question mark right <laughs> who else is that, that that third starter that you're going into a seven game series with so they they, they need him and Paxton to, to get it going yes Hopefully Severino, but we'll see what happens. Um, talking to Danny Flecker here on Teeing It Up. All right, um, you've been all over the place, which means you end up in a lot of gyms. You end up reading a lot of ESPN.com to catch up. 
from afar, what's been your take on this Mets run? Because this is just insane. And these finishes, these rallies, these comebacks, City Field is sold out. I mean, it's gotten ridiculous with the Mets. Oh, the Mets have always had the bare bones of what could be a good team. Yes. You know, yeah. Starting pitching, decent bullpen arms, um, good young talent that hasn't necessarily found its way yet, but was about was maybe on the cusp of doing so. Um, but their overlying issue has always been in the Mets, or their their training staff is absolutely garbage, and players are getting hurt left and right. Um, so it's been exciting to have a team that has that opportunity to make the playoffs and liven up New York City, you know, come alive. You know, they have, they struck a lightning with, you know, Pete Alonzo. He's been absolutely unstoppable. You know, he's put on a campaign not too dissimilar to Aaron Judge when he was a rookie. Um, they have Jeff McNeil, who's uh, another rookie for them, who is the heaviest hitting guy, but he's a solid on-base guy. Uh, athletic defender, he, he can play them all over the field, and, and they're starting pitching. Syndergaard, DeGrom, you know, Wheeler's figured something out the last couple of weeks. Matt, they have Stroman now. So, you know, those trades that they've made that were, you know, left us scratching our head could end up paying dividends for them with having that type of rotation. You get into a situation where maybe they're playing in the wild card, and they can throw out DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Stroman in one game and get into the playoffs. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Mets can keep it up. The NL is always tighter uh, than the AL for whatever reason that is. You know, you're, they're fighting with the Nationals, the Cubs, the Cardinals, the Brewers. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can keep it going or is it just like a flash-in-the-pan type situation where when when it, the water levels out that the Mets are going to fall back. So it's going to be interesting to the NL East is going to have a lot of important games in September between the Nationals, Braves, and Mets, and so is essential between the Brewers, Cardinals, and Cubs. So it's good for baseball to see teams with a parity. Um, you know, besides the Dodgers, every and the Yankees, every division is, is pretty close. So it's going to be interesting to see how these teams fare, and you know, if the Mets are going to be one of those lucky teams to make the wild card. Got to potentially throw the Phillies in there too, even though the Phillies have been going in the wrong direction. Um, excuse me, we're talking to Danny Fleck on Teeing Up. All right, this is this is now the Danny Flecka show uh, where he talks soccer. Right now, after week one, but just imagine week one didn't exist. Going into the season, what was your Premier League top four that you had in your head? So, it was always going to be Manchester City and Liverpool uh, top two. You can pick which way you want them to go. Both those teams are, are loaded and, and very, very good. Tottenham was my number three choice. You know, they went to the Champions League finals. They made a lot of great signings in the summer transfer window. They pick up players and deepen that squad. And then the fourth, fourth team is up for grabs. You know, Chelsea had a rough summer. They sold their best player. They brought in uh, Pulisic, but, you know, it's going to be a little while before I think he really is able to make an impact, and it's not because he's not talented, it's just the Premier League is a different animal, it's going to take him a little while to get, get used to the play and make sure that he understands what's needed of him. Arsenal is always an enigma, and Man U is basically the Dallas Cowboys of uh, the Premier League, so that, that sixth spot, I mean that fourth spot is really up for grabs, but I do want to throw like two dark horse teams in there, 
maybe people aren't talking about, and they actually played against each other to start the year. That's Leicester City and Wolverhampton. Those are two teams that you know finished mid-table last year, seventh or eighth. That you know, if things break right for them this year and they get on a little run, they could sneak into that fourth spot and get a coveted Champions League spot for next year. So um, you're going to have your usual hitters up there at the top, but you know, keep an eye out for maybe those two teams to maybe spoil the party a bit. On on Christian Pulisic, is he the best player? What can he do for U.S. soccer? I guess that's my question. He's so young. He's going to be playing on big stages every weekend. Is this a situation where he will come back to the national team um, almost as if he's been uh, that that he can become a leader and a mentor because he's going to be playing on such a big stage every week? So essentially, is it like? And I'm just making this up because this wouldn't happen. But is this like Patrick Mahomes playing on the Patriots and learning under Tom Brady and then he goes to the Chiefs and and, and runs wild? Is that the kind of situation that it could be for Christian Pulisic? I think that's a little bit of a far-out comparison. I think the best situation you can find for U.S. soccer is that not only Christian, but a lot of the younger players have the opportunity on a week-out, week-in and week-out basis to play against the best possible competition that the world has to offer, and that's what he's going to get. He's going to be toughened up. He's going to become more skillful. He's going to understand what it's like to play in those situations and not let the moment get to him. And I think that's what you need if you're a U.S. soccer. You need for him to be successful, to be healthy, to shine on that stage, to have the opportunity to play on that stage and play against the best possible competition he can play against. That way, when he is back with the national team with his teammates, who have hopefully as well faced you know, similar situations, they can understand the experiences together rather than just have one superstar that has done it all and everybody else is just waiting for him to take over. So I think it's important not only that he succeeds, but that he has the opportunity showcase what it is he can do and I think he will succeed. I think he's, uh, he's young, he's moldable, he's on a young team. You know, they all have to develop. It's a, it's a key, it's a point of emphasis for that Chelsea team this year is to play their young players and to develop their young players. They can't bring anybody in uh, for the next two years. So they need to develop what they have there and it, it couldn't have been a better language spot considering that. He's not going to be ex- expected to be the savior. Instead, he's going to be expected to be part of a team that is going to go along on the same path and eventually, hopefully, compete for some trophies. So, my biggest, my advice I'd give to him is just take in the moment, enjoy yourself, train hard, and let the game come to you. Because if you start forcing it, it's going to be difficult. And you know, he's in a, in a good situation right now. And you know, I was excited to see him out there. I was, I was hoping he was going to start on Sunday. Wasn't the case, but I'm sure we'll have plenty more games when we tune in where he's going to be, you know, the man of the match. So it's just going to take some time, and people have to understand that. Super quick, and I think if I remember right, this may not be something you know. He's under 23, which would make him eligible for the U.S. men's Olympic team. Do you think the U.S. men would throw him out there on that Olympic team to get him? Um, some some big moment playing time, but I mean to me, Olympic soccer doesn't have the same cachet as 
your regular club team or your country during the World Cup or during those those off-season tournaments. I just wonder what they'll do with Pulisic, and is there a risk for him to play too much soccer in a year, basically? Just a, just a couple more uh, seconds here with Danny Fleck on team. Yeah. Would you like to do NBA schedule analysis? Is that something that interests you? Did you take your lunch break to coincide with the NBA schedule release yesterday? Uh, I did not. I didn't even know it came out. So There you go. There's your NBA schedule analysis, folks. Let's give it a round of applause. Would you like to analyze the current FedEx Cup standings on the PGA Tour? Anything you would like to talk about that we have not talked about? I think I'm good. I think I'm all caught up, and now I'm just getting ready for our eventual show about fantasy football, and uh, go from there. Yes, and 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 next time around the show, we'll talk college football because because week zero will be here right before you know it. Florida, Miami. Yeah, the 24th, the 25th is that game. Yeah, 24th, Saturday, the 24th, uh, college game day will be live from Walt Disney World. It's the 85th different location for College Game Day. However, no signs allowed, and they'll be on an elevated perch, so they'll have no fans. Is that where the game's being played in Orlando? Yes, it's being played in Orlando. It's a neutral site game. Interesting. Yes, uh, as part of College Football's 150-year celebration. You've got NFL 100 and, and College Football 150 all in the same year. Yes, a lot of anniversaries indeed. Danny Flecka, thank you as always for coming on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. No problem, my man. Have a good night. You got it. Thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.